Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're working our way through this book of Matthew Kelly's called The Rhythm of Life. And for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that he is encouraging us to be our best selves ever. In fact, he calls it being the best version of ourselves. And so last week when I was even saying those words, I thought versions of ourselves, versions of ourselves. And it reminded me of when I used to be a software developer. Believe it or not, for 15 years of my life, uh, I was a, a software engineer. And, uh, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's start with a quote from this book. I have noticed that all men and women have dreams. I have noticed that some people achieve their dreams, and for others, they just seem out of reach. Why is this? Does God have favorites? I don't think so. The reason is that some people dream, and then they wait for their dreams to come true. Other people listen to the movements of their heart, and they dream their dreams by listening to that gentle voice inside. They commit themselves to excellence. They're armed with their dreams as though it's a blueprint for their lives. They go out onto the stage of life, chasing those rainbows, living life passionately. And aided by a mysterious and miraculous power that I can only describe as the grace of God, those dreams come true. So how can we create this best version of ourselves? How can we make our own dreams come true? Well, I will tell you what I know about software engineering, and maybe that will help. First of all, if you want to reinvent yourself, if you want to do version two of a great software program, there's two ways to go about it. And the first way I would suggest is the way that Facebook is going about it right now. It's like every time you need it to do something else, they just add it in right? It's like, well, I think we need birthday reminders. Done. It's in there. I think we need a new way of more granularly defining our friends so that we can have close friends and friend friends and real friends and associates and sometimes friends and not so good of friends, but they're still friends. Done. No problem. We need a way of doing instant messaging. We'll put that in. We need a way of also playing slot machines and make money. Okay, we'll put that in. We'll do apps. We'll do it all. And what happens? If you're like me, I can barely run Facebook anymore, right? It's like there'll be things in there that I know are in there because I've seen my friends like Linda over here do something on Facebook. And I go, this is going to take me weeks just to figure out how to do this. Well, that's one way that we can do a new version of ourselves, too. It's by just adding things in. So if you notice that there's something lacking in your life, like, like maybe you're not feeling as, uh, as kind of, uh, I don't know, free-spirited as you like or as artistic as you like, well, let's add in some classes. Let's go to the Portland Art Museum for their lecture series or let's take up pottery. If you're feeling like maybe there's something a little missing, uh, maybe around personal relationships or something like that, let's also become a, maybe a mentor of a child or, or enroll in the CASA program for advocating for use in troubled situations or, or let's do emergency foster care. 
And then if there's something else that we're missing, let's add in that and add, do you see where I'm going? After a while, our lives would become like Facebook, (laughs) which basically would be unworkable, strange, and, and troublesome. So that's one way that we can create newness in our own lives, much in the way that a lot of people who are software designers might go about revising or enhancing a software program. But I gotta tell you, there's another way, another very powerful way that software engineers reinvent or recreate a software program. And it's not without its risks. Because what you basically do is throw out what there was there before, have a meeting of the people who actually use your software, and find out what it is that's important to them. It isn't just adding more things on the top of what's already there. It isn't just putting more features and more buttons and more checkbox and more menu items and more menus to menus to menus to menus. You actually get a large group of people who want to do what you want your program to do and find out what's most important to them. And then you create that in an excellent way. Now, Some of you may disagree with me, but those of you who have Microsoft Word on a Macintosh at least, actually they did that in the last version around. It is much simpler to use than it ever was. I can get things done twice as easy as I ever could before. Now, some of my friends that use it for more exotic things, like a, a friend of mine does, uh, actually does manuals for a living. She says, oh, it's harder now. But if you think about it, what they have done is they have made the program incredibly useful for probably 99% of the users. Powerful, easy to use, exactly what 99% of the users want. What if we took this approach into our own lives? What if we wanted the newest and best and greatest version of ourselves? How would we go about this? Matthew Kelly has a couple interesting ideas, and he actually says it's not that difficult if we keep in mind the three basic user requirements. And so this is what he says are the basic user requirements if we want to create the best version of ourselves. First of all, we have to make sure that our needs are met. And if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about that, our physical needs of enough sleep, enough rest, good uh, nutrition, exercise, our emotional needs of intimacy and friendship, our um, mental needs of of, uh, education and, and learning new things and our spiritual needs of connecting into our higher power. So if we have all of those needs met, that's about a third of what's required for really understanding this upgrade process for ourselves. The second third has to do with our talents. Does everyone have in the room, first of all, have a sense even of what your talents are? Now, a talent to me is something that you express in a way that A, comes fairly easy to you, and you've developed a fairly good mastery at it, okay? So, so for instance, I have over the years managed to get by in Spanish, 
But would I say that, er, that uh, learning a second language is a talent of mine? No, I have to work really hard at it. I'm, I made progress. I feel good about it. When I go to Mexico, people don't point and laugh. They, they just smile and point, which is, which is better than pointing and laughing, right? So that would not be a talent. Now, over time, I might improve that, and I might improve that, and one day, who knows, someone might say, oh my gosh, Larry, you're fairly fluent in Spanish. I would still probably not consider that one of my talents. It's something that I actually struggle with. But have you ever known someone that just like, uh, uh, well, a good example would be my ex's niece. It was like when she was five, she sat down at the piano and could almost play the darn thing. With like maybe one or two set of lessons, she was playing the piano amazing it was as though she was born for that or, or or there was something in her that allowed her just to sit down and, and 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 with some basic instructions and without too much trouble learn to play the piano that would be a talent something that comes uh, easily something that kind of draws you in uh, something that you're you're good at and you have some mastery of okay now, they may not be as easily identifiable as the two examples I just gave, though. Do you know what I mean? I mean, some people have a real talent for being with children. Now, that's not something that has a job title with it or, or an easily defined role, but yet some people have an immense talent for, uh, for children or for, 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 for doing other things. And so let's not discount any of those. It may be something that doesn't have anything to do with where you work or your job title. It may not have anything to do with classic roles and responsibilities, but nonetheless, I bet everyone in this room has one or two really God-given talents. Okay, so think about that one. The next thing, which often we say in the same breath, but I think is actually fairly different, Matthew Kelly says we also have to know what our dreams are. We have to know what really makes our hearts sing. Now, do you see how a lot of people confuse that with the talent thing? Because there are individuals where their talent is also their dream, right? I mean, when you look at, for instance, at our musicians today, you probably get a pretty good sense that they not only are good at what they do, but they love it as well, that it makes their heart sing. But remember my story about my, uh, uh, my uh, uh, cousin-in-law that played the piano? Her parents, because she was so good at it, kind of funneled her into that. And their assumption was she would become a pianist in the sense of earn her living that way. And you know what? She hated teaching the piano. And uh, being in concerts and things like that, her stomach was just like she was in knots because she did not like being in front of people. And so even though she had a talent for it, even though she was a great piano player, she was never going to make money at it because she didn't like the things that went with that. That was not her dream. That was not her passion. Being with the music was beautiful to her. Do you see the difference here? Sometimes our dreams and our talents go together, sometimes not so much. And yet it's important also to absolutely know what makes our hearts sing. I want to use an example of this idea of the dream in my own life. 
When I was about 12 years old, I already knew that I was going to be an amazing high school teacher. I wasn't even in high school yet, right? But I had this sense in my heart that I would either be an English teacher or an art teacher. And I remember taking all, you know, advanced placement English and, you know, putting in extra hours in the the art classroom and all of that stuff because I knew that's what I was going to do. And when I got to college, I was taking the education courses. I was about two terms away from getting my teaching certificate for, for, for high school uh, in drama, actually. And I went to South Eugene High School to do my intern work. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was the worst experience of my life. It was like you took this giant balloon, right? Took a blowtorch to it. Pop! <laughs> my dream of becoming a high school teacher vanished in about two weeks. It was horrible. They treated you badly. The kids didn't want to be there, for one thing. Who knew? A lot of the kids didn't actually want to be in school. And somehow they were all in my classes, I swear to gosh. It was a nightmare. And so I realized that I wasn't supposed to be a teacher. But do you see, even as I'm saying it, you can tell I'm telling a little bit of a lie, can't you? And so what were my next few jobs? Well, first I got a job with a telephone company doing data entry, and within about six months, I was teaching people how to do data entry. And I mentioned that I was a software engineer for 15 years. Actually, I fibbed a little bit. I was only a software engineer for five years. Guess what I did for the next 10 years? I taught it. There is something about our dreams that are not to be denied. Now, did I ever have the title teacher uh, in any of my job titles when I worked for the telephone company? No. And yet, what did I do for almost 20 years? I taught people how to do things because that was what was in my heart. That was my dream. Well, and here I am today, right? You probably think this is church. Oh no, this is just me working out my need for education. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're willing to play with me on Sundays. <laughs> Do you know what your passion is? It could be something that was expressed a long time ago and somebody popped that bubble with the blowtorch. It could be something that you thought sure was something that you wanted to do or wanted to be or wanted to express, and it, maybe it didn't make money, or maybe someone sent you down a wrong path, or maybe you came to a conclusion that, that led you down a different path. You, however, will know if it's your passion in a couple different ways, and I want to share these with you. Because from my experience, people already know what, they, what their needs are. People tend to already know what their skills are people often don't know what their dream is. Sometimes when I ask people, what's your dream? What's your passion? They look at me like I'm asking them, like in some strange, well, some of you, a few of you are glazing over right now. And I get that. So, so how can we be sure? How do we have an idea that we're on the same track? One thing is time passes effortlessly. If you were in your zone, if you were doing something that really you're meant to do in that idea of a, of a dreamy existence where you're plugged into your higher power and doing your dream, hours will pass like seconds. You'll suddenly wake up almost and go, oh my gosh, is it five o'clock? 
You'll, you know, whether you're writing, whether you're with kids, whatever it is you're doing, if you're in your zone, time will go like that. And at the end of it, here's another clue, at the end of it, you don't feel tired, you feel energized, right? You hear you've put in eight hours, you should be tired, it should have been a struggle. (laughs) And instead, it's like, wow, that was powerful, I feel great. Look at what I did, look at what I accomplished, look at, right? You have that sense of invigoration. Another thing that will always give it away is those are the days when you feel like things are going your way. And it will, it will uh, how do I want to say it? It kind of bleeds out into the rest of your existence. So when you are doing something that really is your mission in life, really your calling in life, the other parts of your life suddenly cooperate. Do you know what I mean? It's like the kids are quiet when you're doing that thing because they can sense it energizes you. They can feel the importance of it. If that thing requires money, suddenly you find sponsors, people who are willing to help you with it or, or new ways of expressing it that are, that are made easier. It's like the path opens up because you are shining so brightly in it. So those are the, the three ways that I can suggest that you begin looking for your passion. If you don't already know what it is. Now, if you already have a dream, if you already have a sense of why you're here on the planet, that's great. And I want to talk now about how we integrate these three basic user requirements. I want to go over them again. We need to know that our needs are met. We need to know that our talents are used. And we need to know that our dreams are realized. I would suggest... These are the three legs of the stool upon which you are going to sit out your life. If one of the legs is too long, you're not going to have a pleasant time of it. If you've neglected one of the legs altogether, oops, there you go. Haven't we all known someone who had a great passion for their life and completely neglected their physical needs? who put themselves 135% into a job or a passion or a hobby, and oh my gosh, they ended up with high blood pressure and eating poorly and all that kind of stuff. They didn't address their actual needs in life. And haven't we also known someone who's so plunged into a particular talent that they felt as though there was no dream in their life at all? Right? Someone who maybe was really good at doing, uh, I don't know, accounting or really, really good at, at, uh, at, at doing some particular thing. That was the absolutely their, um, their, their gift in a way. And yet they totally ignored the fact that it wasn't exciting them, that it wasn't interesting them. So the idea here is not just that we have a passion not just that we understand what our talents and skills are, not just even that we have a good handle on maintaining our our bodies and our spiritual needs and those things, but it's coming to a balance. It's recognizing that all three of these areas are the user requirements for building the best possible us. And if we ignore any one of them, if any one of them we just say, well, I'll take care of that later, What happens is we're completely off balance. We will not become our best possible self. We may enhance a particular skill. 
We may feel a little bit dreamy until the collapse, (laughs) but we're not going to be in that true zone of excellence. I want to give you your homework for the day. You, you knew it was coming. So I'm going to read those three areas again. Your needs are met, your talents are used, and your dreams are realized. Now where I would suggest starting on this homework is if one of those three areas in particular has the short leg of the stool, if one of those three areas you're kind of clueless on, like, like, boy, my needs are not being met at all, or, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I would put down in terms of having a talent. Or if, if when I asked the question, do you know what your dreams, what your passion are, you kind of went, uh, not really sure that I have one. Those would be the places to start. Let's start with the piece that seems missing. But now... Back to our danger of software engineering. Because when we sense that there's something missing in our life, what's our first urge to do? I'll just add that feature in. I'll just plunk that in on top. And I have to remind you here, we're going to take version two of ourselves very seriously. I want you also, as part of your homework this week, to evaluate what's important to you. So even if you already feel, oh, I know what my skills are really well, or I know what my life's passion is really well, I just need to work on this other thing. I think the three of these things work together. And they work together in such a way that very purposefully, they need to be in balance. So my suggestion, the way I'm going to do the homework is I'm going to take a sheet of paper, divide it into thirds, and actually write about all three areas. So I'm going to have a, a section that talks about my needs. I'm going to have a section that talks about my dreams and a section that talks about my talent. So that if you were to ask me next week, what are the user requirements for the best ever version of Larry? I would actually be able to tell you all three of those areas. That's my plan for this week, and I think that is how we can move forward. So is there a danger here? I wanted to share with you some really geeky software engineering jokes. And what I discovered in the first service, you may not even get them, but they're so, but they're so fun, I just wanted to share them. This is the danger of software engineering as it applies to us. So a wife asked her husband, a software engineer, sweetie, could you please go shopping for me and buy one carton of milk? Oh, and if they have eggs, get a dozen. A short time later, the husband came back with 12 cartons of milk. When his wife asked, well, why did you buy 12 cartons of milk? He replies, well, they had eggs. Stinky, aren't they? But if you're a software engineer, they're like the funniest jokes ever. So one more, one more. Why did the software engineer get stuck in the shower? Well, he read the directions on the shampoo. Lather, rinse, repeat. (laughs) All right. I know, stinky at best. But the reason I share them with you is this is the fallacy we get when we're re-engineering ourselves as well we will get hooked up in the details, we will get trapped in the trivia, and we will actually forget what's important to us. 
So when you're looking at that three-legged stool, when you're looking at those three areas, those three sets of user requirements, we need to focus on what really are the most important things in those three areas. Not get stuck in, in some pattern from the past, not be overly involved in the hows and the wheres and the, and the bits. We need to really think about what's the most important in all three of those areas. Otherwise, 12 gallons of milk, you'll be stuck. <laughs> I'm going to close today with a final reading from this book and a prayer. He says, our desires and needs are very closely linked. The careful matching of our deepest desires and our legitimate needs requires, even demands, careful discernment. Your health and your happiness depend almost entirely on the development of your abilities. There is a profound and providential connection between our needs and our desires. To ignore our diseases our to ignore our needs and desires and their relationship to each other is to ignore our best self. Your body, heart, mind, and spirit all yearn for you to be healthy in every sense of the word. They collaborate with one end in mind that you may become the best version of yourself. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. This one thing is indivisible. It is the allness of the entire universe. And what I know is that that also means me, that I too am made out of God's glory, that each person in this room is part of that divine consciousness that I call God. And I know that God doesn't make mistakes. So each one of us has that ability within to, to see our strength, to understand our talents, to be aware of the dream that sings in our heart to do wonderful and marvelous things in the world, and also the clarity by which we acknowledge our own needs. So that, so that these three ideals, these three ideas of needs, of joy, and of talent can be part of what makes us powerful. And so in advance, I'm grateful for the idea that each one of us has that power within us to check this out, to become ever more aware of our needs, our dreams, and our talents as we move forward in this process of being the best, the very best that we can be. And so I'm grateful in advance for version two of every person in this room showing up in the near future in such pride, and such illustriousness, in such love. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Dot us slash donate. 
Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.